Well, we're going to get into the Word today, and we are going to start a new teaching series. And, and this is one that I feel is, is, is critical for the time that we are in and, and, and for what God is trying to do. And honestly, for even where our heads are at and where our attitudes are at. And the name of the teaching series is Shine. And the subtitle is Making Room for Revival. I truly believe that in this time, God is doing something unique. God is doing something powerful within the church. And he is wanting us to rise up in a dark situation and shine. Look at Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Oh, there is a call upon the people of God today that we would rise up and we would let the light of God that is shining upon us to shine through us, that people that are in a deep darkness would see that light shining. You know, there's only been one time in my life where I had both the money and the reason to go shopping in a fine jewelry store. Let's be honest here. Usually when I walk into a fine jewelry store, I just feel like everybody in the store can just tell that I don't belong, right? People can just look at me and be like, you don't have the money to be in here. What are you doing? And so I tend to avoid those kinds of jewelry stores for that very reason. But there was one time that I had the money and the reason to go into a fine jewelry store. And that was when my grandmother passed away my dad shared his portion of the inheritance with my brother and I. And so I had a chunk of money and I had an amazing young lady that I was in love with and I wanted to propose to. And so I took that money into a jewelry store and I bought an engagement ring. But as I was shopping for that ring, the jeweler took out this black felt backdrop and every piece of jewelry, every ring that he brought out, he placed it upon that black backdrop. Why do jewelers do this? Because the brilliance of diamonds shows through even better against a dark backdrop. And I believe that this is the time we are in church is that we are meant to shine and the brilliance of the church and the glory of the grace of God that is upon us is supposed to shine with an even greater brilliance set against a dark backdrop. I mean, let's be honest. This is why I've got black curtains behind me, so I might shine just a little bit better on camera. Hallelujah. Come on, arise and shine for your light has come. Nations will come to your light. God is calling us to shine, and that's why I believe this time, this shutdown season that we're in, is a time for God to prepare the church for revival, that the light would shine. And I believe when this stay-at-home order ends and the church is able to gather back together, we're going to move into a season of revival that, that we have not seen here on Kauai before. Come on, I looked up revival, and even secular definitions of revival say things like a reawakening of spiritual fervor, a season of something becoming important again, the restoration of life and vigor. That, that is the cry, is that when we come back together, there's going to be a reawakening. The priority of faith in our lives is going to become important again. There's going to be a restoration of life within the church 
As I was looking up revival, I came across these quotes from different great leaders of the church who all tried to define what revival would look like. J.I. Packer said it's God's quickening visitation of his people, touching their hearts and deepening his work of grace in their lives. Robert Baird said it was an extraordinary season of religious interest. Stephen Olford says it's the sovereign act of God in which he restores his own backsliding people to repentance, faith, and obedience. J. Edwin Orr said it's times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Robert Coleman said it's the awakening or quickening of God's people to their true nature and purpose. Charles Finney says it's the return of the church from her backslidings and the conversion of sinners. Richard Owen Roberts said it's an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. Duncan Campbell said it's a community saturated with God. I believe Earl Cairns, who shared this many years ago, is most appropriate for this time that revival is the work of the Holy Spirit in restoring the people of God to a more vital spiritual life, witness, and work by prayer and the word after repentance in crisis for their spiritual decline. If we've been in spiritual decline, then maybe, just maybe, this COVID-19 crisis is what's going to bring us to repentance and reawaken the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we're going to see a revival break out here through Kauai Bible Church. So we're going to spend several weeks on this concept of shine, of making room for revival. And today for part one of this series, I want to talk with you about understanding the times. Understanding the times. First Chronicles 12.32 says this, Of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do, their chiefs were 200. What is going on in First Chronicles 12? Well, the people are beginning to realize that David is the rightful king of Israel. He is the one who has been chosen and anointed and set apart by God. The problem is, is that David isn't the king. Saul is the king and Saul has not died. And David isn't even the rightful heir if Saul did die. And so the people of Israel had to begin to make a decision. Who are we going to back? Are we going to back King Saul, who still has the title, even though God has removed his hand from him? Or are we going to back David and recognize the hand of God that's upon David? And in 1 Chronicles 12, it begins to list all the people who have chosen to support David. And here in verse 32, it talks of those people of the sons of Issachar, of the tribe of Issachar, who are making the decision to support David. And it says that the sons of Issachar understood the times. What does that mean? It means they were able to discern what was going on both politically and spiritually. They could understand the current climates of what was happening in the kingdom of Israel and they knew how to act on that information. They could discern the political and spiritual climate and they knew how to act on that information. Kauai Bible Church, I believe that we need this kind of discernment right now. We need to understand the times that we are in and we need to know how to act in this time. You can contrast that to the exact opposite that we read just a few days ago in our rooted Bible reading. Jeremiah 14, 18 says, If I go out to the country, behold, those slain with the sword. Or if I enter the city, behold, diseases of famine. 
for both prophet and priest have gone roving about in the land that they do not know. Right? Jeremiah is talking about the prophets and the priests of the southern kingdom of Judah. They're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the people. They're supposed to be guiding and shepherding the people. And yet they have no idea what's going on with the very people that they're supposed to be leading. People are dying by the sword out in the countryside. People are dying of famine and disease in the cities. And yet the prophets and the priests just keep saying, everything is good. God is blessing us. They had no idea the climate of the times that they were leading in. And so we need to understand these times. And I think this is important to continue to address and to continue to declare that in these times, listen, this is not a government takeover. Right? This is not a time of great conspiracy where the, the government is trying to take over or there's some shadow group that's trying to create a one world government. That's not happening. Listen, we are in a shelter in place order because of a pandemic that has swept the world. And you know what? This is not the first time this has happened in our country. It might be the first time in our lifetimes, but it's not the first time and it's probably not the last time. This is not a season of persecution against the church. Let me say that again. This is not a season of persecution against the church. And I hear people saying that all the church is getting persecuted. This is just the government trying to take away our rights. And and my response is, listen, if you think this is persecution, if you think that us not being allowed to gather together in our building for a short season of time, if you think this is persecution, we need to suck it up a little bit. Because every day all around this planet, hundreds upon hundreds of people are tortured and murdered because they declare the name of Jesus. Hebrews 12, 4 says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. This isn't persecution against the church. This is all of us just trying to be responsible to care for one another, to stop the spread of a disease. All right, this is not the Antichrist rising up trying to give all of us the mark of the beast. That's not what this is. Everybody points to the last couple of verses of Revelation 13 and says that they're going to stick it in the, the, the vaccine. They're going to do this. Well, you got to read the whole chapter of Revelation 13 and realize there's a whole lot of other things that still need to happen before we even need to worry about the mark of the beast. So what is this? What are the times that we are in? We're in a worldwide pandemic such as has not been seen since probably the Spanish flu of 1918. This is a new virus that we don't know enough about and it's a virus that we don't have immunity to. And so we keep getting continually changing information. And sometimes it's frustrating because that information conflicts and different organizations are saying different things. And the truth is, is because we just haven't had time to research this virus. So we don't fully understand it. And so people are taking their best guess at trying to understand it. And then we have our government leaders who are imperfect people just like us. They're not all knowing. They're not all wise. They're scrambling just like we are, and they're trying to make really difficult decisions to keep people safe while also keeping our country and our states and our economy afloat. 
and they're trying to use information that's coming from public health officials. But again, that information is constantly changing, but they're just imperfect people trying to make really important decisions. And so we need to pray for them, pray for their wisdom, pray for their discernment. We need to lift them up and support them. Listen, I don't agree with all the decisions that our government officials are making. Some of them are frustrating me. Some of them are upsetting me. But as long as they're not demanding that I violate scripture, and as long as they're not discriminating against the church, then I'm going to honor what the leaders are asking, and I'm going to submit to them because that's what the Bible tells me to do. I've only read of one situation so far where a city government actually discriminated against a church, and immediately ADF, who is our same legal counsel here at Kauai Bible Church, immediately ADF filed a federal lawsuit against that city. Immediately, the Justice Department under President Trump came out and sided with the church and, and entered a court briefing to support the church in that situation. That's been the only one. And I know people are saying, oh, but pastors are getting arrested for practicing their faith. No, they're not. They're getting arrested for violating a stay-at-home order, not for practicing their faith. And I know people are saying, well, the church should still gather. We're people of faith. We should still come together and, and, and gather together. Well, listen, Christians get sick and die every single day. Of the 36 plus thousand people in America that have died of COVID-19, I'm sure a lot of them are followers of Christ. I don't read anything in the Bible that says that just because we gather as a church, somehow we're going to be immune from the spread of disease. I don't see that. The Bible doesn't tell us to do foolish things to try to prove our faith. The devil tried to tempt Jesus to do that by telling him to jump off the top of the temple and God's angels would catch him. And Jesus said, no, we're not supposed to test God by doing foolish things. The only death that being a follower of Christ protects us from is the eternal death that damns us to hell. Physical death, we're all going to face it. We all get sick, and we're all going to have to face physical death. We're facing a major economic depression. 22 million people so far in America have filed for unemployment. People are getting scared, and so now we're seeing protests that are popping up. We've seen it now in Michigan and Minnesota and Virginia. Small business owners, people that want to get back to work, they're afraid of losing their business. They're afraid of what's going to happen, and so they're, they're, they're starting to protest, and so we see people starting to uh, experience that type of unrest. And then we have news that is continuing to stir up fear with sensational claims, and it's not just the mainstream news. It's the alternative news also sensational claims on this side of, the, of opinion or this side of opinion. And the reality is that we need to understand what God is doing in this time. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to break down a passage of scripture from Jeremiah 29. And I want to help us as the people of God. I want to help us to embrace and understand uh, what God is doing and to see things from God's perspective. And then I want to finish this morning by, by sharing four prophetic declarations, four things that as I've been fasting and praying, that I believe that God is speaking to our church and maybe God is speaking to the church as a whole. And I want to make those declarations and I want to encourage us as a church to embrace God's view of what's happening now. Stay away from the fear, stay away from the conspiracies, stay away from the sensational claims. 
And let's embrace what God is doing so that we can rise up and be a part of the revival that God is making room for in this time. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Jeremiah 29. And I know that Jeremiah 29, 11 and Jeremiah 29, 13 are two of the more famous, two of the more quoted verses in the Bible. But I think it's going to give us a lot more context and understanding if we read the entire passage to see what's happening. So at the beginning of Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah is writing a letter, a prophetic letter to the people who have been carried away in captivity to Babylon. And so you can imagine what the emotional state of these people are as they have been carried away into exile and they're now in a foreign land, a pagan land, and they don't know what's going to happen. All their pride has been torn down. All their thought of the fact that they were the people of God, so they were untouchable. All of that's been stripped away. They've lost everything. Some of them were probably experiencing hopelessness and didn't want to live anymore. Some were probably angry and wanted to keep fighting against their captors and keep rebelling against Babylon. Some were probably scared because they couldn't even imagine what's going to happen to us uh, here in Babylon. How are they going to treat us? What are they going to do to us? Some probably just wanted to throw up their hands and just say, I don't care. I'm just going to sit around and do nothing because I have no motivation to do anything, right? And a lot of those emotions might be the same things that we're experiencing right now. And it's in the midst of those emotions that God tells Jeremiah to send them a letter, to speak to them, to minister to them in the midst of that. So let's do this, starting in verse 1. Now, these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Gomoriah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And here's what the letter says, starting in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Let's stop right there. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. And if you're following along in your notes, which you can find uh, attached to this video on our website, you can find the notes in our app. We emailed out the notes to anybody who's on our church email list. If you're following along in your notes here, the first point under Jeremiah 29 is God put us here. God put us here. Right? These people were not in exile because some nation had proved itself to be more powerful than God and had caught God off guard and done something he never expected. No, God sent them into exile. God intended for them to be in Babylon during this season. And so the first thing we can do to begin to embrace is that God put us here. This was not some government move. This was not some shadowy conspiracy that people somehow overpowered God and made this happen. No, this is exactly where God intended us to be. He wanted us in this lockdown. 
He wanted us to be in this place right now. He put us here. And you see, if we can embrace that fact, then we can cast out all the fear and all the lies and all the conspiracies. We can cast all of that out and say, this is where God wanted us. And rather than being afraid of it and rather than fighting against it, let's embrace it and let's see why God wanted us here right now. God put us here. Let's continue on verses five through seven. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. In its welfare, you will have welfare. And so the second point in your notes is this. God wants us to thrive. God wants us to thrive. He doesn't want us to shrink back in this season. He doesn't want us to become hopeless and stop doing things. Listen, it says in here, he wants us to multiply and do not decrease. He's telling them, even though you're in an uncertain time, I still want you to get married. I still want you to have children. I still want you to raise families. I want your children to grow up and get married and have children. I want you to multiply and not decrease. Now, come on, we're all on lockdown here. I I have a feeling that some multiplication is going to happen. A lot of couples are together and have nothing else to do. Nine months from now, we're going to talk about the COVID baby boom. Come on, God wants us to multiply and not decrease. But he's not just talking about physically making babies. He's talking about us thriving in this season. He's talking about the church multiplying and growing in this season, not shrinking back. He wants us to go out and build houses and plant gardens, right? What does that mean? It means he wants us to be productive. It means he wants us to uh, continue to do life the way we're supposed to do it, not to shrink back, not to hide. And he says to seek the welfare of the city. He wants us to be a blessing to the city he has placed us in. And so we can look for ways to serve our community, to pray for the peace of our community, to pray that God's hand would touch and bless our community and that we could find ways to share the love of God and to share the truth of God in our community. God wants us to thrive in this time. He doesn't want us to throw our hands up and give up. He doesn't want us to run and hide from fears. He wants us to thrive. Verse 9, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Oh, I apologize. Verse 8, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you and do not listen to the dreams which they dream for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. What kind of false prophets is he talking about? The false prophets who are declaring to the people, this is only going to last a short time and you're going to be delivered and this is what's going to happen. No, in verse 10, God says this, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. The third point in your notes is this, this is temporary. God wanted to make it clear to them I have a set time for this. It's not going to last forever, but here's the thing. I have set the time for this. 
Don't listen to other people who try to tell you they know. And we hear all sorts of stuff on the news. Some people say this is blown out of proportion. It should end immediately on May 1st. Other people say we're not going to go back to life as usual for two years. And you hear everything in between. But listen, none of them know. But what God wants you to know is that this is temporary. It's not going to last forever. Now, I'm sure it's not going to last for 70 years. But this shutdown season that we're in, it's temporary. It's not going to always be this way. But God has appointed the time for it. And God has decided how long it's going to last. And we need to trust God. And finally, continuing in verse 11, here's where we get to the famous verses that we've all heard before. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. God says, I still have big plans for you. I still have a great purpose for you. Even in this temporary season where you're in exile, I still have plans. I still have plans to bless you. I still have plans to give you a great future. But listen, God is waiting for us. And that's the fourth point in your notes. God is waiting for us. He says, then you will call upon me. And come pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. God is ready to pour out revival. God is ready to bring us into a season that we have not seen before. But he's waiting on us. He's waiting on his people to begin to cry out to him. To begin to call upon his name to begin to pray for him with a passion and pray pray to him with a passion and a fervency. He's waiting for us to seek him with all of our hearts. And maybe, just maybe, he's putting us in a time right now of a shelter in place, of a lockdown season. He's putting us in a place where some distractions can be removed and we can seek him with all of our hearts. Come on, the first time I ever even thought about seeking God, first time I ever even invested any time into seeking God was when I was in jail. Now, I didn't surrender my life to him when I was in jail. It still took me a while to figure things out and get things right. But it was the first time that I ever started really investing some time and some thought into it. Why? Because when you're in jail, all your distractions are removed. You don't have anything else to do. You got a lot of free time to sit around and ponder. And maybe God is giving us some time with some distractions removed so that we can seek Him with all of our hearts, so that we can cry to Him. God is waiting for us. So how do we properly embrace what God is doing in these times? Well, we embrace the fact that God put us here, not anybody else. And if he put us here, he had a reason to put us here. And we should be seeking why are we in this lockdown season. God wants us to thrive within this season. He wants us to multiply and not decrease. He wants us to know that this season is temporary, but he has chosen the time for it, not anybody else. And in this time, God is waiting for us 
to begin to cry out to Him and to begin to seek Him with all of our hearts. So what is God doing in these times? I've got four prophetic declarations, as I shared earlier, as I have fasted and prayed over these last few weeks. This is what I hear the Spirit of God saying. And I want to declare it. And I want us as a church to begin to respond to it. And even the rest of this teaching series after today is going to be all about expounding on these things and what we can do to respond to these things. What is God doing in these times? Number one, he is sounding the alarm to call the church to get right. He is sounding the alarm to call the church to get right. In Ezekiel 33, it talks about the watchman who God has appointed the watchman to stand upon the walls and to watch to see that the enemy is coming. And if he sees the sword coming, he is to blow the trumpet to warn the people. And if he sounds the trumpets and the people still don't listen to the warning, then their blood is on their own hands. But if the watchman stands on the wall and he sees the sword coming and he doesn't blow the trumpets, then the blood is on his hands. The watchman is to stand on the wall and to sound the alarm that the sword is coming. And I believe in these days, God is calling us to sound the alarm that it is time for the church to get right. It's time for us to put away our religious games. It's time for us as a church to stop just putting on a show and pretending like we have everything all together. And it's time for us as a church to begin to go to God and whatever sin is in our lives, to lay it on the altar, to repent of it and to leave it there and to turn away from it. It's time for us to deal with the wrong attitudes that have been in our hearts. It's time for us to deal with the spirit of religiosity that has been in our gatherings. That, that has been in our spirits where we love playing the game and saying the right things and looking good. But though our lips say one thing, our hearts are far from God. God is sounding the alarm. He is telling the church, it's time to get right. I have a purpose for my church. I have a purpose for my church to shake the gates of hell. I have a purpose for my church to do great things. But my church has not had the power it's supposed to have. My church has not had the influence it's supposed to have. Why? Because there's been too much hiding, too much religiosity, too much hidden sin, too many wrong attitudes. And God is sounding the alarm. It's time, church. It's time for us to get right. Number two, God is giving us this downtime to make room for revival in our lives. God is giving us this downtime to make room for revival in our lives. Psalms 46.10 says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He says to cease our striving. Other translations say, be still. We need to slow down. And maybe, just maybe, God has forced us into a time to slow down to remember that He is God and that He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. But we need to slow down and spend some time at His feet. Right? You got the Mary and Martha principle. And Jesus said to Martha, who was so busy and so concerned, He said, Martha, you're concerned about so many things, but Mary has chosen the good thing to sit at my feet that maybe this is the time for us to be still, 
to stop being so busy and so concerned about so many things. And it's time for us to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's time for us to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's time for us to clear out some of our calendar and make room in our lives for more time with God so that we can make room in our lives for the revival that God wants to bring. Number three, God is making us flexible to adapt to a new season of being the church. God is making us flexible to adapt to a new season of being the church. Listen, just in this time of of, of shelter in place, we've had to learn so many things about technology, so many ways for us to put the gospel out there, so many ways for us to connect in community and to stay in, in communication with one another and so many ways to continue to disciple one another. It stretched us to learn new things, to operate in different ways. And I believe this is only the beginning. Matthew 9, 17, Jesus said, nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins burst and the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. Why do you not put new wine into old wineskins? Because old wineskins get dry and brittle. And when they're dry and brittle, they're not flexible. They're not able to adapt. When you put the new wine in, that dry, brittle leather is going to crack and break open and the wine is going to be ruined and wasted. We need fresh wineskins. And so God is saying it is time to make the church a fresh wineskin again. It's time to break us out of our same old routines and our same old habits, and it's time to make us fresh again. It's time to make us flexible again so that this new thing that God wants to do, so this new season of us being the church, we'll be ready to adapt to it. We'll be ready to to, to make the changes that we need to make. We'll be ready to quickly adapt to, to changes in the culture. We'll be ready to quickly adapt to what people need when they need it. God is challenging us in this time to be flexible. And finally, number four, what is God doing? He is waking us up to a season of evangelism. He is waking us up to a season of evangelism. Romans 13, verses 11 and 12. Do this, God says, do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. God says it's time to wake up. It's time to know what time it is to understand the times and the season that we are in and that it is a time that salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. It is a time where the day is drawing near the day of the return of Christ, the day of the kingdom of God. And therefore, we need to put on our armor of light. We need to wake up and to begin to to share the gospel and to begin to evangelize like never before. How many of us in church that we go to church regularly, we've been in the church for years and we can't remember the last time we shared the gospel with somebody. We can't remember the last time we prayed a prayer with somebody as they surrendered their life to the Lord. Maybe it's been months, maybe it's been years, but I believe in this season, God is waking us up to a season of evangelism. He's calling us to see that the fields are ripe for the harvest. And it is time as people are scared and uncertain and struggling, it is time to bring the hope of the gospel to the world.
God is trying to wake us up. Come on, God is sounding the alarm for the church to get right. God is giving us this downtime to make room for revival. God is making us flexible so that we can adapt to a new season of being the church. He's trying to make us new wineskins. And He's waking us up to a season of evangelism. It's time to wake up and put on the armor of light and do what we were intended to do. The greatest shame of this shutdown season would be if we as the church did not take advantage of this time to become all that God needs us to be for this world. God is trying to position us as a church to receive the revival that he wants to pour out. And the greatest shame would be that we wasted it, that we didn't take advantage of it. The greatest shame would be that when we do get to gather back together, and I don't know when that's going to be, nobody knows when that's going to be, but when we do get to gather back together, the greatest shame is that we would come back together and do the exact same thing we always did. That we wouldn't be changed as individuals and we wouldn't be changed as a group, but we would just go right back into the same old things. What a shame. What a shame. I want to pray for us this morning. I want to challenge us to begin to think about what revival looks like and what God is doing and what is it going to take for each one of us individually, for each of us as our families watching this in our living rooms and for us as a church as a whole. What is it going to take for us to begin to make room for the revival? that God wants to bring. I want to stir your spirit to begin to dream big. I want to stir your spirit to begin to believe big, to have faith for what God is going to do. And in this time, I want to stir us up to be ready when we come back together. Let me pray for you right now. Lord, I thank you that your spirit is still speaking loud and clear to your people. I thank you, Lord, that you have not gone silent, that you have not removed yourself. But, Lord, you are still right here in our midst and you are speaking. So open our ears, God, that we may hear. Open our ears that we might hear the word of the Lord. Open our ears that we might discern what the Spirit of God is doing. Help us, Lord, to be like the sons of Issachar, that we would understand the times and know what we ought to do. I pray right now that you would speak to everyone who has listened to this sermon, who has been a part of this service, that you would speak to them right now, that they would know what they ought to do in this season. They would know how they are to respond. And I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would be able to embrace your perspective for this time, God, and that we would cast out the fear, we would cast out the lies, we would cast out the conspiracies, and we would simply say, Lord, we trust you. Our lives are still in your hands. You are still in the midst of your church. Your spirit is still at work in this world. And so we trust you, God. And so, Lord, here we are. Use us. God, we want to partner with you in this time. We want to partner with you in this time. We want to do what you are doing. Wake us up to evangelism. Convict us by your spirit that we would get right the things that need to get right in our lives. Make us fresh again, Lord new wineskins, fresh and flexible, ready to respond to whatever you're doing in any moment. And Jesus, I pray that we would find ourselves sitting at your feet. Oh, Lord, just listening to your word speak into our spirit, feeling your love and grace, expanding our capacity to love and to minister. Thank you for that, Jesus. We give you all the praise, Lord, for what you're doing in this time. 